a Pearson Harnish, but a huge third down conversion. You got the game on? Yep. On the move, down to the 24-yard line of St. Francis. Who's winning? He, he won't say the score. Laid up and waited for the pass. Short drop Come out on, of the gun. who's winning? Rifles towards the right corner, complete to Vander Cooey, who steps across the plane. Ah, say the damn score. You're listening to the original Say the Damn Score podcast, part of the Say the Damn Score podcast network. Here's your host, Logan Anderson. Welcome to episode 91 of the Say the Damn Score podcast. As you just heard the big voice guy say, I'm Logan Anderson, a freelance sportscaster in the Twin Cities metro area. As always, this podcast is dedicated to sportscasting and sharing stories and ways to improve in the business. Make sure to subscribe to the show by clicking the big red subscribe button at the top of SayTheDamnScore.com or whatever podcast app or format you're using, click subscribe. They pretty much all have the button, so just do it. I'd appreciate it. It's a big favor for the show, and it doesn't take a whole lot of effort, and the show will come right to you. I also want to take a moment to just encourage you to share the podcast, retweets, Facebook shares, Instagram shares, emailing your friends, all of those things help me to spread the podcast to more people and have it potentially help more broadcasters. You may be wondering why last week was 92 and this week was 91. And the answer to that conundrum is because I made a mistake last last episode and said 92 when it was actually 91. For whatever reason, I had it in my head that we had done one more episode than we really had in reality. So uh, we're going backwards in time. But I do think it's a good lesson to look at is to make sure you're paying attention to detail in the sports broadcasting business. In this case, I'm not going to fire myself from the podcast that I don't make any money at. So it's not going to have any consequences before besides making me look silly uh, for the short term, which I don't mind. I'm, I'm perfectly happy uh, to be the example for people. But in the past, I've reread cover letters or emails to people that I was sending looking for jobs or positions or introductions and a lot of us, I don't want to say everybody, you should write completely fresh material every time you send stuff, but a lot of us have a template of a cover letter or an email that we copy-paste and put a personal touch on it. That's what I do anyway. I'm in full disclosure. But I've gone through and reread emails in the past where I forgot to change one little thing and or I forgot to change the address from my old address on my resume. Just silly things that, you know what, there's a good chance that maybe somebody didn't even notice, but it's certainly not going to impress anybody. And if, for example, I don't think I've ever done this, not that I'm aware of, but if you left the name of another potential employer in the salutation on your letter and forgot to change it and sent it to someone else, that's almost certainly going to get it thrown out immediately. So a small detail that in the grand scheme of things probably doesn't really mean very much, but now you're setting that first impression in a negative way 
and likely not getting the rest of your email read because they're going to say, I don't want this person to work for me. He can't even take the time to check his work and and pay attention to detail. What's he going to be like on a game when, when we need 100% accuracy and great preparation? It's just not a good look. It doesn't matter in this particular case, but I just wanted to use that as a moment to say that paying attention to detail is very important. This week, we are joined by Chris Lewis. He is the women's basketball voice of Boise State, works for the Mountain West Conference Network, and hosts a show on KTIK in Boise. And Chris, thanks for coming on the Say the Damn Score podcast. Appreciate it. Heard so many. Now I get to be on one. Pretty cool. You probably don't know this, but you were there when I came up with the idea for the podcast. And I want to see if you remember this moment. It was at uh, in Salisbury, North Carolina, for the National Sports Media Association Convention. And we were standing in a circle around Mark Boyle from the Indiana Pacers and Steve Holman from the Atlanta Hawks. And Mark was telling Larry Bird stories. I think it was about uh, taking a charter flight to Montana to go play darts away from people who wouldn't recognize him. And you were standing next to me. I remember that specifically. It was the very first time we met. Yep, I remember that. I remember that. Mark is a great storyteller. And, you know, every time you go to one of those events and he's there, just go around him because you're going to get some great insight. But yeah, he told that story, and that's where I had one plus one equal two. I was like, I bet there's a lot of people outside of this circle and outside of this room who would love to hear these broadcasters' stories. So that's, a, that's the origin of the podcast. Well, there you go. And then a legend was born from that moment. <laughs> Maybe I was their motivation. Maybe I was the one. Nah, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm not that. I'm not that egotistical to where you look at me and then you get more. Nah, nah, nah. Not like that. <laughs> so, what was the first time in your life when you knew you wanted to go into sports casting? What was the moment when you knew the path you were going to take? Well, it's not overly dissimilar to a lot of other people um, when, you know, the the, re, the commitment is when you're done playing sports and the coach says you, you didn't make the team or you're not getting in the game, uh, you want to be a broadcaster. But for me, it was uh, my mom and dad both worked during the day. So during the summer, uh, me and my brother, we went to a bunch of basketball camps, right? Because we need somewhere to go. They can't be home to watch us. We need to be doing something. We need to be active. So uh, basketball camps is where it was at. We went to at least like five, six, seven of them a summer. Uh, I don't know how my parents had the money to keep sending us to all these basketball camps. But there was one week where there were no basketball camps, and we still needed somewhere to be at. So uh, there was this thing, uh, Scholastic Play-by-Play uh, Sports Broadcasting Camps, run by Jeremy Treatment in Philadelphia at Villanova, I think was where the first one was at. I don't know. I had to be like 12 years old, something like that, maybe even a little younger. And that was what we were going to do. We both like sports. We like talking about sports. So it was, all right, well, let's go to the sports broadcasting camp. And while I was there, it was it was a blast. The The speakers that were there. Um, you know, just a chance to talk about sports. I knew pretty much after that, like, yo, this is kind of what I want to do. If I can find a way to uh, be a sports broadcaster, be a play-by-play announcer, sports talk radio host, or be on TV or something involving talking about sports, 
this is where it's at. So I have to credit that moment back probably before I was a teenager of what got me on this path. That was one of the things that I found in the research that I did about you is that you you're listed on that camp page as a as an alum who's made it. What do you remember specifically about some of the memories and the experiences at that camp? It's crazy because some of the best memories from that camp weren't really broadcasting stuff. I mean, uh, some of the friends that I made there, you know, me and my brother, uh, we maybe stood out in a way you can connect the dots if you see a picture of me and uh what maybe a lot of the other kids look like so i don't know we we're a little different uh at that camp and there's just a lot of good people our age and we just had a good time playing cards at night you know staying overnight it was an overnight camp at a certain point i don't think the first one i went to was overnight but uh i ended up going for like what five six seven straight years straight summers after going to the first one and just running back into the same kids it was like a classic summer camp that happened to be sports themed. I remember playing basketball at the Villanova campus was one of the things that I got excited about the most was running shop on the basketball court. I still like playing basketball, but uh, playing hoop on the courts, uh, talking to some of my friends who I still talk to today uh, about that camp. And even the friends, like not all the friends who were at that camp went into sports broadcasting. A lot of them are doing other stuff, but it was just really fun to hang out with them and to talk. And now as for the actual stuff that, you know, we did at the camp sports broadcasting related. I think the most valuable thing about it was the speakers that came because you kind of even knew at that point, I'm young, I was young at the time, but you know, networking is a huge part of it, not just how good you are, but who you know. And that's where my network started to build from the different sports talk radio hosts. I remember Paul Jolovich, who hosts a show uh, for 610 WIP at the time. He's now one of my you know, broadcasting mentors who I talked to quite a bit. I met him there, Jim Jackson, who's the voice of the Flyers at the time, now also the voice of the Phillies. I met him there, stayed in touch. So I think the most valuable part from the camp wasn't exactly the activities that we did. And we did quite a few. They were creative, and it was less easy to do at the time because technology has gotten so much better since the first time that I went to that camp. Uh, You know, Some of the stuff they did was real old school-like. And they were helpful, and it got me better, I, I would say. But the real value in that were the you know relationship with the other kids. You got a chance to hang out, and then the relationship with the people who are already established in the business. And they've helped me out a bunch since the first time I went. Is your brother still in broadcasting at all? Nah, my brother is. Uh, he's probably smarter than. <laughs> Uh, anybody who goes into broadcasting he uh i went to syracuse he went to georgetown he's uh what three four grades uh underneath me my senior year of college was his freshman year of college so it added up to we had one year where i was at syracuse the last year of the big east and he was at georgetown and that was a blast but nah he's a he's a businessman he he started working at google after he graduated and he worked there for a couple years and now he uh Basically, he's a co-founder and runs a fashion company that makes jeans called Creature Of. And those jeans are really legit, too. He's a fashion guy, real stylish, knows the trends, into hip-hop, into the culture and all that. And uh, the jeans that he makes are really good. So if you want to – I could throw him a bone on this podcast. I know uh, he would certainly appreciate it. But Creature Of is the name of the jean company, and it's pretty legit. Well, if he wants someone to endorse his product who's very, very <laughs> unhip, then he could send some, some jeans to Minnesota. 
the swag. You gotta you gotta rock it with swag on Instagram. I feel like that's a big part of the business model is to you know you gotta show it off to the trendsetter. The trendsetters of the culture. You give them the free pair, they rock them on Instagram, and you start to blow up a little bit. I know this podcast is popular, so we can we can hook you up. With, well, I don't. I'm not gonna speak for him, but maybe he can hook you up with a pair. I just got Instagram like eight days ago. I've been no seriously. I, me, me too. I just got it like two weeks ago, <laughs> and I, I was like, I thought it was the last holdout for Instagram, especially for like we're broadcasters. We're supposed to be on top of these things, and we're younger, so like we, we need to be the ones who are on the ground floor and figuring all this out. And I was really late to the party, and I still trying to figure out what I'm doing on Instagram. Yeah, my younger sister, who's like ten years younger, and. I remember about five years ago, I was like, why didn't you answer my Facebook message? She goes, I'm never on Facebook. I have an account, but that's where all the old people are. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. I at least knew middle finger raised high to you. Start. When I got Instagram, the first thing I posted was like a promotion for for a podcast. And I didn't have the picture the right size, so it cut off a bunch of the words. And she <laughs> mocked me for that. So oh, I told boy. that story last week, but I'm telling it again, so... Hopefully they're not tired of it, but one of the things I found interesting about your path to Syracuse, you didn't actually go to the Newhouse School. You came out of Syracuse, but you kind of just went through broadcasting and WAER as a extracurricular, if I understand correctly. Explain how that works. Nah, you nailed that. Um, yeah, so everybody wants to go to Syracuse, and... Because and I don't know if everybody wants to go to Syracuse, but a lot of people do because of the history, the alums, all that. Uh, they have a pretty established track record of uh, producing some of the biggest names in sports broadcasting. And uh, I did my research and knew pretty early that I wanted to go to Syracuse. And that was the place that was number one on my list. Basically, the reason all four years of high school was me basically doing what I could do to get into Syracuse. That was really the goal. I knew it the day I walked into high school. In my uh, private high school, I, in fact, was going to go to public school in the area. I went to public school all my life. And then uh, the first day, uh, my mom didn't like the orientation that the public high school has. So I ended up going to this Catholic school. And I'm not Catholic. I had never really been a church person. So um, that was an adjustment for me. But I knew the whole time, okay, this was going to help me be in a position to get to Syracuse. So uh, and the admission times came and I got into Syracuse and got into the business school. I applied for both the business school because I do enjoy the business world. As mentioned, my brother is in the business world. My dad's in the business world. So I do enjoy that uh, stock market and all that. I try to pay attention to it. And uh, and I also applied to Newhouse. Didn't get into Newhouse. Got into the Whitman School of uh, management at Syracuse. So I was like, all right, that's fine. I, I can make it work as long as I'm in. I'm at, I, I'm in. I got to Syracuse. I, I'll get to the campus. I, my goal will be to transfer into Newhouse and do the double major thing. I can certainly make that work. But I, I always knew that the valuable part about Syracuse was the student media, like WAR. Um, I don't know how many guests you've had on who've referenced that student station Z89, Citrus CV, I knew those were the, the those where you got, got the reps. The reps needed to really get the tape that you wanted. When, by the time you graduated, you would at least have something out there. So I knew even if I didn't get into Newhouse eventually with the transfer process or the, I guess that's what you call it, the transfer process of trying to get into it, which is difficult. You have to be 
3.7 GPA or 3.8 GPA. And the issue was I was spending so much time doing the student media, which a lot of this is late nights. A lot of it is taking up all your time that I wasn't 100% invested in having the best GPA possible. And even if I was 100% invested in having the best GPA possible, I don't know if that would have been good enough to transfer into Newhouse. Newhouse, the, the only thing that they looked at for the transfer process was your GPA. It didn't matter what else you were doing. It didn't matter how involved you were at WAER, Z89, Citrus TV, the other student stations. It didn't matter anything you did with that. It was strictly a GPA cutoff. And lo and behold, I never, my first three semesters, never got to the point where my GPA was good enough to get into Newhouse. So, yeah, that was... <laughs> And you said, like, I never got into Newhouse, and that, that wasn't the plan. The plan was to do the double major thing, to be a business guy and to have the, biz, and to have the uh, journalism degree. But, you know, I, I chose the path of student media over GPA. I don't, I don't regret the choice at all. I think that was the right way to go about it. I recommend anybody else to do the same kind of thing. Real, real live reps was what I was interested in doing, what was more fun for me. I, I really enjoyed what I did. I've had so many people on from Syracuse that I feel like it just gets so repetitive that usually I don't talk about Syracuse with the people anymore unless it's yeah. uh, something different. But that's a it's such a unique, unique path, at least from what I've heard. I've never heard of anyone else doing that way and don't know all the Syracuse people, obviously, but uh, I'm yeah. sure there's other ones. But like, when I, you were, I don't know. Like, we could kind of talk about it. I don't know how much what school you had or like what part of Syracuse on the diploma actually mattered like I still was making the same kind of contacts that the other quote-unquote new house people were making I felt like I was getting more experience than most of the people who were new house uh people that they were getting so like I never really felt like I was behind or I was missing out because I wasn't in Newhouse. I, I the thing I was jealous of more than anything was like their classes were more fun than my business classes for the most part, especially junior and senior year. But maybe I took it as a chip on my shoulder a little bit to be like, all right, I know I need to to grind and I, I didn't don't need to sleep. I can put in the extra hours, put in the extra prep, knowing that you know I don't have the Newhouse background, so maybe I can be an excuse to work harder than the next person. But I don't even really take it like that. It, uh, to me, this is all fun. I don't, you don't really need to have chips on your shoulder or anything. Uh, just have fun with it. Do what was fun. Try to get better. And I felt like I was. Did that affect the way that reps were distributed at all and auditioned huh? for? Or was that uh, was WAER and the other radio station at Citrus TV? Are those all separate of of the actual Newhouse program? All separate. Didn't affect it one bit. In fact, you know, the more time I had to actually do those things, that's what helped me get on the air. Uh, It's weird how those places work to where what you put into it is what you get out of it. And I really feel like that's the best way to do student media type things when people are trying to figure out what they want to do with their life. That's what college is about, figuring out what you want to do with your life. And if you're passionate about it, you'll spend a lot of time doing it. You'll spend a lot of time at those buildings, like at the you know, radio station, at the TV station. And then the more you put in, the more you get out of it. So I really feel like that's the best approach and to not have it based on which school you're in or 
what your GPA was at the school. My GPA was never like in danger of like flunking out or anything. My GPA was good. It just wasn't like excellent. And then by the time that you could transfer in your first two years after that, they kind of cool it with the uh, within Syracuse transfer process. So you can't really do it anymore. So once I realized that, all right, does your GPA really matter after you graduate? Like who's really hiring you in a new station? Who's really hiring you in a play by play position? Because you had a 3.7 GPA versus a 3.0 GPA, you don't even list your GPA on your resume. Okay, then what's the point? <laughs> like, so I, I, my my goal was to, all right, I'll, I'll do what to do to get at least get a C and at least be like you know passable. I'm not going to be in danger to fail or anything. But if there is a conflict of time between me studying for this test to make sure I get an A or me about to call this game. Of course, I'm going to spend my time trying to call the game because I want to be a play-by-play guy. I don't necessarily want to be the next person working at name business firm, name accounting firm here. I don't want to do that. So spend spend the time doing what you want to do and where you want where you think allows you the best chance to land work after graduation. It's probably not the best message to send. Like, don't care about schoolwork, but I felt like. Again, I don't regret the choices I made in terms of I spent more time preparing for broadcast than I spent preparing for any test that I had my last two years at Syracuse. What was your break that you were able to get to Boise State as the women's basketball broadcaster right out of Syracuse? From what I could unearth, that looked like it was the case. It was right away. What was the the contact or the connection, or was it just a blind application process? Um, a little bit of a process now number one my first job out of Syracuse was the Idaho Falls minor league baseball team um where the Chuckers uh Royals affiliate rookie affiliate short season and that was uh a little bit of an eye-opener going from a Philly guy or a South Jersey guy right outside of Philly going to Syracuse New York which is basically a bunch of Jersey New York kids maybe there's some out but it's not really too much different than being suburban philadelphia and then you go out to idaho falls idaho which is a little bit different compared to those two places not going to say it's bad not going to say it's great but it's certainly different uh from style of life to the people that are there um to all that population so that was the adjustment of living that far away from home and in a place that different in a style of life that I've just not have been accustomed to. I think grew up a little bit that summer out there in Idaho Falls and not to mention as a broadcaster, uh, you know, doing all the baseball games that you get to do during short season. And I think part of the reason that I got that job was, was it my junior year after our junior year summer, I went to the, uh, the Salisbury NSMA or NS whatever it was at the time. I know it's NSMA now, but, um, and I, I went there and met up with a lot of, you know, networking, doing the thing where you talk to broadcasters who are established and try to get pointers. It was part of the, uh, STAA all American thing. My buddy, Bill Spalding won the, uh, Nance award. So I wanted to be there, kind of see what's up with him and, uh, kind of support him, uh, winning that award. John Nolan was also on that list. So it was just, I wanted to be there and, uh, talk, and I felt like it could help with the job market. Met up with Bob Beeler there. Never met him before. He was the men's voice at uh, Boise State football basketball. 
And he was the one that put in a call at Idaho Falls, which I think was helpful in me getting that job there. And I've kept in touch with Bob Beeler after that my entire senior year at Syracuse. And uh, then that summer when I was at Idaho Falls, it just so happened that the women's basketball job opened that summer that I was in Idaho Falls. So location is everything. Timing is everything. Able to interview for that in person, drive over, make the was a four hour drive across the state to Boise from Idaho Falls, meet with the people there in Boise. And whenever you can get your face in front of people, that always helps you in the process. So that's how I ended up getting the job doing uh, women's basketball that next fall season, right after I graduated from Syracuse. And I imagine when you got there, you didn't expect to necessarily be there that long, but you're still there now, still <laughs> waiting for that break. And I don't mean that in any sort of uh, no, it, it's a, great. a negative way. You're extremely talented. You're one of the people we trade uh, critiques of our work back and forth. But I think we're both able to relate to some of the frustration of this business. How do you handle that? I mean, I don't, I, I don't really get that frustrated. Like, that's the number one thing is that – like I really like my job. I really like uh, the schedule that I have right now. I really like uh, hosting a sports talk show every day, being on the air every day, uh, hosting a show with Bob Beeler, who I mentioned before, every day. He's a great guy to talk to, great guy to host a show with. Uh, of course, the most professional guy you'd ever meet. So like that's fun. Uh, and then getting to do play-by-play for – all the sports that I do in the fall and the winter for women's basketball, traveling with the team, getting a chance to go to the different Mountain West cities from Vegas to San Diego to Laramie, Wyoming to Logan, Utah. You get a lot of different environments in this conference that I think is one of the more unique conferences to travel in uh, in the country. I, 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 I get it where everybody wants to move up and don't get me wrong. Like I am, I put in the work. I, I'm always trying to get better. I do want to take the next step, all of that. But I, I think part of it is just recognizing there's a lot of people who would love doing what I do. I love doing what I do right now. So like, I, it's hard for me to get ever frustrated when I'm on air every day and I have the opportunity to get better. And part of the challenge, I think, for me is just I know I'm not a perfect broadcaster. Nobody's a perfect broadcaster. We all have a room to improve as long as you're getting the reps to improve your craft. That's the that's the fun part of it. And you just have the self-belief that it'll work out. Like I, I, that's I, I don't get stressed about, uh oh, I'm not at this point at, by this age. I feel like I don't, don't want to make it sound like too arrogant. But like I feel like if I, if it's not now, then later on, I'll be good enough to get a lot of these jobs that eventually open up or that aren't opening up, maybe will open up down the line. So it's just a matter of having fun while you're doing the job that you're at right now and staying patient and just continue to put yourself in the right position to eventually you'll be the one to get one of those next jobs. What did you learn from doing a summer of minor league baseball? Because obviously that's a different animal than just about anything else in the sports casting realm. And I've never I've never done that. Baseball's never been a path that I've really ever been able to go down. What did you learn from that experience? Number one, and I mentioned it a little bit before, it was in Idaho Falls, Idaho. I grew up that summer a lot. Like I think what I learned more was off the field and or off the mic 
and just being able to fit in into a work environment. Like I'd never been in a real work environment like that, like office, desk, uh, you know, nine. It's kind of like a nine to five, except it's nine to later than five. And, you know, you have a, a boss, you have coworkers. Like, I don't know. It, it's not a college station. It's a little different. So uh, there, there's that. There's being a black guy in Idaho Falls, which is less than 1% black. There's getting used to that that life, which is different. Uh, living situations. Now, throughout my time at Syracuse, I had interned uh, the Cape League, where I've had – the Cape League housing situation was a nightmare. It's probably too long of a story to get into. No, it's uh, not. It's a podcast. All right. It's a podcast. All right. That, I'll do it then. Uh, I think her name was Miss Abend. She was this really old lady. And usually when you say, oh, this is this old lady, it's like you say sweet old lady, but there was really nothing sweet about this old lady. She was, she was, uh, <laughs> so I was like smoking in the house, yelling and screaming at me for just no reason. Um, like, I, I don't do anything. <laughs> like, all I'm doing is going to the park and going back and going to sleep. I get screamed at. She was basically trying to plan my life and all that. And, so my, my parents at one point were uh, threatening, not threatening in like a, you know, in a negative way, but they were uh, prepared is probably the better word to come up, drive from South Jersey up to Cape Cod and uh, handle things if they had to do it. Like it was it got to that point. And I eventually was able to kind of move out and find a different spot uh, on the Cape to live at. And my rest of the summer was a lot less stressful after that. But the whole point of it is you just learn how to deal with housing situations, you know, paying, uh, make sure you pay the rent on time. Uh, sleeping on an air mattress was what I did that summer in Idaho Falls the first year, ended up coming back the second year, found a different place to live. But it's different when you're on your own. The safety net really isn't there. Syracuse, my parents' family, four hours away. If something really went wrong, they could be there in a second. Idaho Falls, not the same thing, not an easy way to get there. The way we got there initially was to drive across the country for two days. Yes, there are flights to Idaho Falls, but not the easiest to get a flight. You're not going to be there in a timely manner. So uh, there was all of that that was involved. And then, you know, handling yourself with a with a sports team, I think, was the professional way in which I grew was, you know, handling a relationship with a manager, with a coach, with a pitching coach, with the manager, the different players. Um, how do you get information with them, be friendly with them, but not be too friendly? Um, how to be reliable to a manager, uh, to a coach, make sure you get the lineup to them in time, make sure you get them the box score, uh, go over things if they need to, the media relations, get the message out that they want to get out. So I think dealing with a professional sports team, which it is, even though it's at the lowest level of professional sports teams, it was a professional organization. Kevin Green, the uh, GM there, still there. He's an awesome guy to work for, and everything about that team was pro. So I feel like I learned from the best uh, being a part of that organization for two years um, to where you, people can tell you and you can go to all the events that we both go to, like the things in North Carolina that we go to. We've both been in San Diego listening to you know people speak and tell you what to do in certain situations. But until you experience them for the first time in an environment like that, I really don't feel like you're really tested. So you're not tested until you're tested. And uh, I thought I kind of grew up in a professional way those two summers as well. What is a chucker? The Idaho Falls chuckers, but it's spelled like yep. chew cars. What is it? It's a bird. And it's a pitcher. 
See, it's the same thing. You know, you you call a pitcher a chucker. You know, they're throwing it, and the chucker is literally a bird. Okay, it, it's a type of bird. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever covered a football game on a fill-in basis or a high school state tournament or something on the blue turf at Boise State? Yeah. Um, is it difficult I've, to see? Yeah, it's easy to see. Uh, I've like covered as in like call. I haven't done play-by-play for a football Boise State game on the air on the blue. Now I've done a lot of you know making tapes, which every home game that we have at Boise State, I get up on the uh, on the roof above the press box level. You basically need binoculars to see. That's not that bad, but it's pretty high up there, and uh, you have to. You don't have to, but I want to call a game just so I can get the reps in and get tape, send it out, try to get better by doing that, you know, get a friend to do color for uh, for, for the broadcast and really treat it like it's its own thing. And, yeah, I've done it. It's not that hard to see. It really isn't. We're getting new blue turf, actually, for this upcoming season. They're putting in new, brighter, bluer turf. It'll probably look similar on TV, but in person, it really pops to being even more blue than it was before. So that'll be interesting, too, to see it in person when we actually get games going on next year. I actually have been to the Blue Turf once, and uh, we drove from South Dakota to Salt Lake City and then up to Seattle. And at some point, we went through Boise. I don't remember exactly uh, if it was on the way there or the way back. But we -hmm. had a suspicion that if we just walked around looking for an open door, eventually we could find one. And we did. And we took the elevator up to, like, they must have been the luxury suites. No yeah, one yeah. questioned I know exactly us. exactly where you went. Just acted like we knew what we were doing and then just walked around and looked at the blue turf. So uh, if you if you need to, uh, I think the statute of limitations is over, so please don't call the cops on us. But th- that was the one time. I, and I, just I, thought, I thought we blue... did need to upgrade security. <laughs> I thought the blue turf with the white numbers from high up would be hard to see. That was my, my takeaway from that. Not too bad, actually. It, it depends on what jersey they would have certain jerseys. Like when they wore the gray, they used to have a gray jersey that they wore at home sometimes. And those numbers were difficult to see on the blue for whatever reason. But now when they wear the blue, the white numbers are definitely bright enough to where you don't really have much trouble. Do birds really dive in like they think it's a lake, like the uh, the rumors say? Well, if I dispelled the rumors, how fun would that you got to go see it in person to find out. How about that? I'm going to spoil it for the people. Okay. So one of the, the, the cool things that you get to do is you get to go to Las Vegas for the Mountain West Conference Tournament. I imagine you do that for both uh, the women's basketball team, and you also do some for just the conference for other games, correct? Indeed, yeah. What's his, um? So I just went through my first experience covering an entire tournament, and it was very different than what you would deal with at the Mountain West level. But it's uh, doing that many games in that short of a time frame. What do you do to prep? Um. Well, the great part about it is these are mostly teams that you've seen before, especially on the women's side, because you went through the season with Boise State. So a lot of it is I can just that I had when I called their game against Boise State probably twice uh, throughout the year. So that's never as much of a concern. It, more of it is, you know, just making sure you take care of your voice and those kind of things, which I'm prepared for your nightmare broadcaster story, which you have at the end of these podcasts. I've listened to them and told you 
prepare for a story involving that, which I guess we'll get to a little bit later. But um, the men's games are a little bit more difficult because, again, I don't watch every men's game in a way. All right, I don't broadcast every men's game is probably the best way to put it uh, for Boise State throughout the year. I do some in the non-conference that are football conflicts. And then I watch mostly every game. I follow the conference because I talk about it on the radio show that I do every day. So uh, Mountain West basketball is a big part of it. So I do have a background on the conference. So that allows me to at least have surface level to advance surface level knowledge going in. And then it's more intense prep from there. Quick turnarounds don't bother me as much, maybe, because, again, you just feel like you have a baseline knowledge to where like you won't you won't completely mess up. You might not be as prepared as you would be for a game if you had three days to prepare for it, if you had one day to prepare for it. But. I always feel like I'm preparing every time I look up on, let's say, the San Diego website or the San Jose. They don't have as much coverage uh, website, the Laramie website for uh, you know Wyoming. I scan those pretty much every day. So I'm always keeping up to date on what are the major storylines throughout the conference. One of the things I was told to ask you about by a mutual friend was, which Uh-oh. was your favorite casino to go to when you go to Las Vegas? Ooh. And what's your favorite casino one. game? Casino game? Casino. Because those, I would say favorite casino, there's two. Hard Rock Hotel, I like that one because, hey, it's close to the Thompson Max Center. B, I know it a lot. I know it very well. And then Cosmopolitan, I really enjoy um, because. Yeah, my mom's been to Boise once. My dad's been to Boise once. My brother's never been to Boise. All of them, though, go to Vegas every year. So you kind of understand their priorities. They like Vegas. It's hard to get them out to Boise. I wonder what the difference is between the two places. But, yeah, we always uh, get a spot to Cosmopolitan because my mom likes the balconies overlooking the fountains. So uh, that's why Cosmopolitan's also up there on the list. I know my least favorite, too, because it's the one uh, that I lose a lot of money is Planet Hollywood. <laughs> Suck at playing at Hollywood, man. I can't. Last time I was there, they destroyed me. I was out here playing, uh, playing blackjack and couldn't win nothing. They were, they were, they were just taking. So, uh, on a much more serious note, my brother was in Vegas during that shooting that was in Vegas a couple years ago, and he was at Planet Hollywood when that went down, and. From what he's told me, uh, stories about that, like nobody knew anything of what was going on. And he felt like his life was in danger at that point. Nobody knew the exact place where the shooting was going on, but they knew there were shots. And he was like his experience there is kind of like fearful for his life and hiding out in one of the mall, play, you know, have a, like have the shopping malls inside the casinos. He was kind of hanging out in there, like unsure what the next move would be. So I don't really like playing at Hollywood for a lot of different reasons. <laughs> I don't blame you. Have you ever been to the secret pizza place at the Cosmopolitan? Yes, that is I have. literally the best pizza I think I've ever had. And I was uh, doing a NAHL pregame hockey show when I was in South Dakota, and they had a native from there who told us about it before we left. And he said, "What do we asked? What locals would recommend?" He's like, "Locals never go to the Strip, but go to this pizza place yeah. in the Cosmo." And I think I went there over and nah, over it, again on that trip. It's a good spot. Now, see, I'm a I'm a real I'm a high end food snob at times. Like I I really like to cook, I really like to eat, and I really like to study food stuff. So 
when I'm in Vegas, even though like I don't drink at all, um, so you would think that, oh, what do you do in Vegas? You don't like to drink? Well, I do like to play the casinos if I have time to do it, but I really like to eat. It's a great spot. It's really like the, every chef, every famous chef now has a spot in Vegas that they uh, that they can call home. So the best part for me, like I, my strategy wouldn't be to eat at the same place and probably wouldn't be at a pizza place like that because it's pretty standard. Like I would be out here, you know, trying this pretty expensive restaurant and this relatively expensive restaurant, this Italian spot. That's my strategy, and I really enjoy going. So I find it hard to cook and like just eat healthy in general with the road trip schedule and you know being yeah. gone at night. I have an inordinate amount of gas station pizza. Uh, how do you stay healthy and kind of find ways to practice that passion of yours with the tough schedule? I'll say this: I better over the past year at eating healthy like that i've made that more of a priority over the past year than i had uh the time before like i used to you know i i always enjoy cooking and wasn't always the most uh dedicated to following the practices of eating a balanced diet as let's make the food taste as good as possible there's different priorities there Some more so butter i'm always more butter uh, more oil. <laughs> Those always help the food taste better and probably doesn't uh, help the, the cholesterol if you're concerned with that or doesn't help the weight if you're concerned with that. And unfortunately, uh, I have pretty, knock on wood, good genes. I've always been pretty active. I played basketball growing up. Uh, so I, I've always been at least decently in shape. But, you know, the past year, I went made it a priority to, you know, eat better. So, um, what I do is right now I plan nights that I know that I'm, I want to cook and I want to eat something that might be a, a little bit unhealthy, but uh, also might taste really, really good and maybe make that once or twice a week. And then outside of that, eat some, you know, grilled chicken, eat uh, ground Turkey, uh, make sure you get broccoli, eat uh cottage cheese for breakfast uh, and get some fruit in there. So I've been doing all that. So to the point where I think my weight got down, uh, to a level that is what I want. And a lot of that happened during the season. And it's the same kind of thing. If you know during the season that certain nights you're not going to be able to eat the healthiest, just make it so the other nights you're not, unless it's baseball, which I think would be really difficult. It is every night. Uh, basketball, thankfully, you travel basically only once a week uh, for the college basketball season. Uh, that you prioritize the other days, make sure you eat well so you can enjoy when you eat out. And that's the whole thing. I enjoy food and I enjoy eating. So I don't want to sacrifice the enjoyment of food with anything that I do. What's your specialty? Hmm. My specialty probably is, and I want to make a shout out another one to my, uh, my uncle who is a, who owns a restaurant in, in, uh, in Tampa. It's a Jamaican food restaurant. Jerk Hut. So if you're ever in Tampa, need a place to eat, uh, the Jerk Hut, they have a couple of locations there in Tampa. Uh, and he makes this oxtail uh, that's it's slamming. And I can never make it as good as he can, but I, I can try. And he sends me the stuff that I need to make it. And I, I think I can do, I do a pretty good one, a very good one, in fact, but like the original. And I, I would say that's my specialty because I don't think a lot of people even know what oxtail is, nevertheless know how to make it well. So I think I know how to make it pretty well. 
You can add me to the list of people who don't know what oxtail is. <laughs> what yeah, is oxtail? Uh, we, have, we probably have a computer in front of you. You can Google it. It's basically like what it is, the tail of an ox. It's ox tail of a cow. Okay. Uh, it's that part of it. it it's a it's tough. It's rough. You got to slow cook it. You got to either, you know, crock pot it is a way you can go about it. Get a Dutch oven or a French oven, kind of sear it first to get the flavors come out. It's a really fatty cut. It's it's fatty. Um, so you, you sear it first, get the flavor locked in, uh, season it up well before you sear it. Uh, carrots, get some butter beans, um, get some, you know, onions, green onions. Uh, the carrots are in there that are real good. Uh, get some chicken chicken broth is what I like to use. My uncle has this the secret sauce, Jamaican red sauce that you put in there too. And uh, if you can mix it up right, get the flavors all set, it is good. Serve it with some rice, and, and you're set. Okay, that's enough about oxtail. <laughs> I got a couple. I can talk other, about uh, it all day if you want to keep going with food. <laughs> Maybe on round two. So. Uh, one of the uh, other – another person who I asked for stories about you, and it was someone from Syracuse, and he said you were usually the worst player on the WAER Media Cup versus the – whatever the, the the newspaper was. Confirm or deny? That was the worst player? That's a complete lie. Yeah, I just I made that up. That. He said you were the best. Yeah, I, I don't know who told you that I, I wasn't very good because I, I would have about to I, I wouldn't know who it was. I don't want to interrogate you. I watch a lot of twenty four. It's one of my favorite shows. I know how the tactics that Jack Bauer used. Not that I want you to give up the source, but I really would want you to give up the source. They said I wasn't one of the best players. Yeah, the person who said it actually was Bill Spalding, who has been on this podcast before. He actually gave you actually gave me some dirt on him. So I yeah. asked him to return the favor, and he actually said you were one of the best players. I just had to throw some shade. Okay, that makes a little bit more sense. So not not that I was out here dropping forty or anything like that, but uh, no, it was always a fun game, and it's one of the traditions there. The uh, TV state or the uh, radio station and the uh, newspaper kind of just playing in the Carrier Dome and getting a chance to play there. Like how many people can say? You got a chance to play in a building like that, a dome stadium, and playing on the court that uh, you know Jim Beheim has all those wins on. So that, it's always a fun experience. And um, again, I like to think that I can handle myself on the basketball court enough. I still play a little bit, so I don't want the reputation to get out there that I'm really trash and I really don't know what I'm doing out there on the floor. I think I'd take you one on one. All right, nah, well, you can maybe stop me from getting to the rim a couple of times. You got some size to you. You you maybe can uh, at least be a, a force inside and make me have to work around. But if I can get you one on one on the perimeter, I think I have the advantage there. Well, if I start with the ball, you won't get it. Oh, okay, you're out here making those <laughs> jumpers. I see how it goes. Um. Anyway, uh, maybe maybe sometime in North Carolina we'll find a gym and my old <laughs> out of shape rear will try it. But, um. Let's get back to broadcasting. We've had a, gone off on a lot of tangents, and I do like that. <laughs> I think it makes for good podcasts. But one of the things that I also – I both know this about you and was told this about you was one of the things that is a strength for you is your work ethic. Where did your work ethic come from? Was it something you've always had, or did you have to develop it? No, um, it's something that I feel like I've always had. I think it just comes from the fact that I know what I want to do. And I, the more I've lived life, the more I realize that I'm maybe unique in that 
like a lot of people like really are still searching for what makes them happy or what they want to do professionally or what their goals are personally. And I've, I've just kind of always knew that. And it goes back to the story I told at the beginning where by the time I was like 12 years old, I knew I wanted to be a sports broadcaster. So nothing that I do is exhausting. Like I know, knew what the work, the work that it took. I said, Hey, this is what I want to do. I find it fun. I enjoy the process of researching and maybe the parts about the job that people don't like. I love the travel. I love the, the scrounging the internet for random nuggets about people. I, I, I like it. And if you enjoy it and you find it fun, then is it really work? And is it really a work ethic? Like if, if it was, I don't know, like, what do I not like doing? Like if it was learning, I, for example, out here in Idaho, I, I've never been an outdoors person. I've now become at least a little bit more experienced in camping and fishing. And I've never really gotten better for me. A work ethic would be, okay, let's say I have to become an expert fisherman or the process of becoming a really good fisherman would be work ethic to me because I'm not passionate about it. I maybe slightly enjoy it, but I don't really know how to do it. Um, a lot of the details seem really tedious. And it, if I had to go down that road to become an expert fisherman, that's work. Doing something that you enjoyed doing and that you knew you wanted to do, that isn't as much work for me. At least that's how I look at it. I don't know. Maybe I sound crazy, but that's how I look at it. I agree. I, I don't think anyone's ever said that that well. I agree with pretty much everything you said right there. So. I can relate to that. The one thing that I really can't relate to is I grew up in uh, small town Nebraska, moved to South Dakota and rural Iowa. Very, very undiverse environments before I moved here to the Twin Cities. And you've mentioned this a couple times that you've moved to places where being an African-American was uh, a little bit more challenging than maybe it would be in Philadelphia or New York. Uh, I guess, what? how do you feel your career has been affected by by race career not sure hard to tell you never know but um how how do you know like this is one thing like do you know I, i don't think i've ever not gotten a job because of my race of me being black i would hope not but um yeah, I guess you would never really know for sure. It's certainly an interesting time in this country. And then, you know, throughout my years of starting to live away from home and, you know, graduating from Syracuse in 2013, uh, just imagine the type of differences between 2013 and 2019. There's a lot of stuff that's happened in this country uh, between now and then. So um, I, I, I don't really know. I'd say me personally, more than professionally, I can come up with examples of, you know, things. I, I, there's the, always the typical, like, you meet somebody and it's like, oh, I didn't know you, you, you were black. You don't sound black. And it's like, oh, what exactly is sounding black again? Why do you have your perception of what black people sound like? Where, do you, where are you getting it from? So I, there's always those little things. But I, I, I guess I'm fortunate. And I know this. I remember one person in college telling me, like, um, seeing me at the student media stations at Syracuse was more comforting for this other person because from what they were told going into it, that this is a white person's world and all that. And, you know, people of color usually don't have their places. And it was good to see somebody who 
was on the path that you are. But like, I still feel like there, there are examples you can point to while it's not as diverse of a field as I would like. There's not as much many, you know, uh, people of color. There's not as many women at, in positions that I think women would like there to be uh, people in those positions. And there's always when you're the not the group of privilege in any work environment, I do feel like you should put yourself into their shoes or at least consider uh, the situation that the people who aren't in the group of privilege in a work environment, some of the challenges they have to to get through on a day to day basis. But I, I can't say that it's either positively or negatively affected my career in any way. It's just been, uh, you know, living in a different place. There are experiences that you have maybe away from the microphone that um, make you raise an eyebrow. But hopefully it's nothing for me. It's been nothing that has really like, you know, shaped my foundational beliefs about anything like i feel like i grew up in a great stable environment two parents brother close family so uh I, they've taught me well and i try to represent them wherever i go what was the biggest culture shock going from the east coast to idaho falls hmm. uh, there's a lot it's always interesting like, i don't remember too many instances of being the only black person in a large group before I got to Idaho. And it's like, oh, oh, there's a lot of examples of me being the only black person in a large group. Not that that I feel threatened or anything by it. It's just like, oh, okay, Ew, this is different. But um, the, I think the biggest culture shock was like within the first couple of weeks of me being out there. So all right, Idaho Falls has the falls part of Idaho Falls, which is by the waterfall, uh, you know, pretty area, a lot of places to walk. So I went walking and, uh, you know, walking around, seeing the, you know, the scenery and all that. A couple of days later, uh, like everybody, you need to get some toilet paper or need to get uh, some toothpaste or whatever. So you go to Walmart, go to go to do some shopping. I'm in the you know aisle trying to get some bathroom supplies and uh, somebody comes behind me. Were you at the the the, the falls a couple a couple <laughs> days ago? I was like, yeah, yeah. I thought I saw you. Yeah, I saw there was another black person there. There was a black person, and then we just went into that conversation <laughs> of two black people in an area where there ain't many of us. So you're, you're recognizable, even though it's not for anything that you've actually done. It's just, hey, I remember you. I, I take note of there's not many of us out here. So that was an interesting conversation just within the first couple of weeks. Uh, like, yeah, this isn't uh, Philly anymore. This isn't South Jersey. This isn't Syracuse. It's a little different. What is your rehearsed? broadcast horror story rehearsed <laughs> like how you use that term for it well no but one no, else has was... ever come on and said oh i prepared and i'm ready for this so yeah i knew so I'm I, ready. I just knew to have something ready to go the standard uh, is now I, high. I, frequent listener to the pod but no it, it's uh this was this most recent mountain west tournament and it's not too dissimilar to uh all the other stories where when you lose your voice for a broadcast, it's rough. Well, this one was Mountain West tournament, a lot of games. I was me. I didn't feel that I was like sick at all. It was just a matter of my voice went out at pretty much the worst time. So the first time I noticed that it was getting a little bit bad was the semifinal game for Boise State against Fresno State in a Mountain West tournament. And uh, yeah, it, it wasn't good. Like the moment that I started talking on the air i was like oh wow i don't have the same kind of power behind my voice that i usually do so i 
did the thing where, all right, just try to power through it. I didn't have a lot of like cough drops or I have a lot of uh, um, Jolly Ranchers nearby. So it was just a lot of water drinking. And then by the second half of that game, I had to go to the bathroom anytime where I've had to go to the bathroom in my life. To the point where I'm thinking like, all right, uh, whew, how am I going to do this? I might not make it. And you're just running through scenarios in your head on like, okay, how do you explain this? And uh, it's going to be real bad. And I ended up getting through the game by some miracle. I was able to power through, get to the end of regulation. Boise State did win the game um, and then go to the bathroom right after. Because the bathrooms were too far away for me to go during a commercial break. So I had to wait till after the game. And I do those women's basketball broadcasts by myself. So there's no color person that can come in and at least hold it down until I get back. Nope, none of that. So uh, that was bad. And then the next day, I literally had nothing. I had no power behind the voice. It was just real scratchy. I still haven't really even listened to the broadcast since. But the next day, I had two games, one for the conference. And that's the thing. Like, you, for these conference games, especially this was a men's game the next day, I I get hyped for them because there's only so many of those that you get. You might get three or four or five of them at a certain year in Las Vegas for this tournament. This was... Uh, a quarterfinal round game or maybe a first round game. So you're excited anyway, but it was just so powerless when you have no voice and you're trying to call the game. And this is an audience that probably hasn't heard you before. And I'm working with a color guy who's never done a game with me before. And it's like, I don't have any, like, I really am calling this game. It's sounding like a whisper or somebody gasping for air uh, anytime I have any kind of energetic moment, it's like, I just wish I could show you guys that this isn't me. <laughs> like, I, I feel like I'm a much better play by play it out than this, guys. Uh, this is me struggling. Like, I had never struggled before. I never had voice problems throughout my whole, whole life. And I get to this moment of in March, Las Vegas, now in West Tournament, this is what you do this for. And I just don't have it. And fortunately, my voice came back by the semifinal game, which was a couple of days later for the men. And I kind of got a little bit of satisfaction having a good call a couple of days later, feeling like I almost avenged the nightmare that was a couple of days ago because Boise State also played. I said I had two games that day where I had no voice. The second game with Boise State in their conference championship game where they played um, Wyoming. And again, it was not much. I really didn't have a voice. And when the team a program has one of their best moments in program history winning a conference championship and their play-by-play announcer isn't at the top of their game that's just you just shake your head and like all right i just hope this doesn't happen again what would you have done if that first game went into overtime cried i don't know (laughs) like okay i probably shouldn't say this but it's a podcast so whatever um i was literally thinking about ways to like how i would play it off if i like just went you know, like how, how would it like, so the, the best thing that I had was I was going to accidentally spill water on myself. a lot like Jason Kidd, how he quote unquote accidentally knocked over that water onto the court to get his team a timeout. I was gonna, like accidentally spill water in myself in that area. Like, would that be like the best way to play it all? Like I literally had to start thinking like that. And Imagine calling a game thinking of stuff like that. Like I had, no, I really gave the basics of like just name, location, and all that. I couldn't really give any stories because my mind could not focus on anything besides I have to go, I have to go. 
So I, I either would have had to cry or execute one of the plans that I was coming up in my head. And I think the in the lead was accidentally spilling water in myself in that area so I could play it off. Was, I, it, was it a you close game? the plan. Was it a close game? I'm trying to remember. I don't think it was in danger of going to overtime from what I remember. I think it was a Boise State was up. And I, I think I remember Fresno State calling a timeout late in the game when they didn't need to call a timeout. This game is over. What are you doing trying to come from behind? Like you, you have no shot. But no, I don't think they were. I don't think they were close enough to even think overtime would be a part of it. But I probably would have cried. Who are your favorite broadcasters to listen to when you have a night off? Um, I think I, I thought about this one too, and let's see if I could come up with any unique answers. Uh, to this one um i i just couldn't get beyond like kevin harlan is to me my dude like i i don't know him i have met him a couple of times but like i don't uh have any way if i wanted to get in contact with him right now i couldn't do it but i just i, I think he's phenomenal tv radio um the description that he gives the passion that he sounds i, I just it's not one of those night off things because he doesn't do maybe a game every day, although maybe some time of the year it seems like it. But and then NBA T on uh, NBA on TV, TNT doubleheader. I always hope he's calling the second game, and I always hope it's a close second game that he's calling, so I can like you know get back from the gym, get on in my seat, and hear uh, a Kevin Harlan basketball call of a close game down the stretch because there's nothing like it. I really enjoy uh, listening to him. I also, I also like. Uh, listening to a lot of my Syracuse friends um, and other Mountain West friends do their games because, I don't know, you, you, you tend to hear how your colleagues and people your age and in your group go about it and to hear how their mind works in a creative way. Like, I'll tell you, one of my favorite ones who I listen to more in college, I need to listen to his stuff uh, a little bit more, but like John Nolan, who is at Fort Wayne now with the Tin Caps. Um, like I always admired how he broadcast games, even in college and, uh, at the points where he's doing baseball now, because, um, I think he's clever. I think he's creative. I think a lot of the things that he does, I could work in. Uh, I think we're both kind of on a cutting edge of trying to be as creative as possible and try to push the envelope of things that you can do and things you can get away with and things you can say. So, uh, that I, I like to listen to. Things like that. And then Gus Johnson's always fun, too. Uh, Dave Sims, just going down the list of uh, other ones who I enjoy. But what's that's kind a, of the path. What's an example of something creative you've done to push the envelope? Whew. Um, a lot of it in college. Like, I try to put hip-hop lyrics into my broadcast as much as I can. Because when you're in the mind space of, you know – trying to push the envelope or trying to be creative, you have more fun. You sound like you're enjoying yourself, but like inserting a Drake line into it uh, in seeing if you can work in two chains, see if you can work in a lyric from the new Lil Wayne song uh, into the broadcast, see if it makes sense in the way you use it. Uh, and then listen back to it and be like, man, that was silly. What was I doing here? All right. That was kind of cool. That worked out. Uh, that was fun. So I, I think those are the type of things like, you know, just take, take the risk. See, it's, if you can uh, sound a little bit different than any other broadcast that you could listen to on a Tuesday night. I had a game once that ended up like 126 to 30 something. It was just 
I mean, it was 30 to nothing at some point. Like, it was clearly just such a mismatch that there was no hope of coming back. And I remember the second half, I tried to drop as many Seinfeld quotes as I could get in. Mm. That was my, uh, I've, I'm sure no one was listening at that point because it was like 50 to 10, but that was uh, my time trying to do that. <laughs> I would always write in Fresh Prince of Bel-Air stuff into my uh, into my written stuff that I did for uh, TV and in college. And I anytime I could reference the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, absolutely want to do it. Like, yeah, everybody has their own thing. Everybody's their own person. You know, another guy who I really enjoy uh, listening to and watching and probably I've appreciated him a lot more. Uh, recently is is Mark Jones of ESPN because again he, like he calls a game differently than anybody else calls a game he uses phrases that you won't hear anybody else use you know like James Harden he's in his bag you know like type of things like I would use that language when I'm talking to my friends you know like I, I would like say oh man look at that movie he's in his bag he's out here cook he's hotter than fish grease out here like the things that he says I feel like it, it, he more than anybody else for a lot of the high profile basketball games speaks hoop language and you know it's different like you know you won't hear Mike Breen say that which is good fine for Mike Breen Mike Breen has his own style too uh which is great I love hearing Mike Mike Breen call a game just like I love hearing Kevin Harlan call a game in his own way and Ian Eagle call a game in his own way and the the humor that Ian Eagle can flow into a broadcast and how he brings out the best in his color announcers. So like everybody has their own unique thing, but uh, you know, sometimes uh, somebody's unique thing hits home more with one person than another person. And like Mark Jones is one of those guys for me. I think uh, some of the things he does that's unique hits home for me more than other people. You've talked a lot about networking in this conversation. And I guess I just wanted to see what have you done Besides going to conferences and just uh, introducing yourself face-to-face, what have you done to get responses from people when you're just sending cold emails or cold calls? Um, it's more along the lines I – don't, I don't know how many cold stuff I do anymore, which I might I, – I, maybe I should do that more. But now a lot of I – mean, maybe it's just because the network has gotten a little bit bigger – the new people I reach out to might be a conversation that I had with one of their friends and it told me to reach out to them. So it's more of like a referral type uh, networking thing. But like, I don't, I don't know how many people I reach out to cold at this point and uh, traveling throughout the different conferences, you get to meet maybe a little bit more people than I did, let's say five or six years ago. But I can answer the question of like when I did, a lot of it was, Hey, you know, I'm, in college, I'm a young broadcaster. I'm trying to reach the next level. And uh, I was hoping that, you know, you could listen to this stretch and give me your feedback whenever you can at your schedule, at your convenience. And if there's, you know, I love the opportunity to chat. I think that's, but now that I've actually talked it through a little bit more, I think a lot of the cold contacting I do at this point is for uh, people who are in the hiring departments at other schools and uh you know other universities or other teams or things along those lines so where i literally just hit out my resume website and be like hey looking for uh you know looking for any tips to where how i could be in a position to take advantage of an opening whenever you might have an opening 
not that I'm trying to force you to make any changes or anything, but like, what do you look for in people when you have an opening and how can I best put myself in a position? What can I do better? What can my resume have that could put myself in a position to take advantage of an opening like yours, if it were to ever open? I think if you kind of phrase it in that way to where you're trying to self-improve and you realize that, hey, this is the type of opening that I would love to take advantage of if it ever were to be the case. So how do I not mess up that opportunity or how do I best put myself in a position to take advantage of that opportunity? That's probably the best way to phrase an email or a phone call or anything like that. Anything that we should talk about that I haven't brought up yet? Ooh, um, no, I mean, other than like another thing that I like, at least that I've come to treasure is just make sure like your, your palate's diverse in a way, right? Like, um, have these other interests that uh, you like to do. Like we've talked a lot about a lot of different things. We talked about our favorite TV shows. We talked about cooking. We talked about travel, food, and all that. Like I, you find the other things that you're passionate too. I love the NBA at this time of year. I don't know when this will be released, but you know we're in the pre-draft process. The NBA Finals is about to begin. So, you know, you get heavily invested in things like that to where it could take advantage of your free time to where this this industry is supposed to be fun. And sometimes I think from hearing stories throughout the business that that gets lost in it a lot. Like a lot of people are either worried or stressed or how they can make it. And we're in the positions to where, you know, we're both around the same age. We're both around the same part of our career to where. You do have all those concerns about how you're going to make it, but I just anything to keep the reminder that this is all fun and this is only a part of what you are as a complete person. I just always want to focus on that. Well, we are. It's about 17 minutes away from tip off of game one when we're recording this. And you asked if we could record this outside of the final so I can try mm-hmm. and filibuster for like 25 minutes and make you miss the beginning or I can let you go now. <laughs> um, uh, what is, if someone wanted to reach out to you, how would they do so? Uh, you can email me, uh, clewis44s, so 4444 at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter, at Chris Lewis Tweets. Uh, I respond to a lot of tweets. I tweet about a random stuff. I feel like you should grade my Twitter account. You'd be a good person to grade. Like when you see my my picture come up on Twitter in a tweet that I'm about to have, are you like scrolling past it? Or are you actually looking at it? Are you like this dude's crazy? I, I don't know. My Twitter account's kind of random, but it's uh, at Chris Lewis tweet. It's another way to reach me. I'm looking up your Twitter right now. How did you get the uh, verified check? Um. It was actually a social media person. We didn't really talk that much about the uh, sports talk show because this is, uh, you know, more of a play-by-play focused podcast. But um, the social media person we had there at the station knew a way to get verified. Like literally, like you just send an email to this person with all the handles of people from your station, and you can get verified like that. I don't think it's that easy anymore. So I got in before they made it more difficult. But yeah, blue okay. check mark. Woo. All right. Well, that's all I got, Chris. Thanks a lot for coming on the Say the Damn Score podcast. Appreciate it, man. Hopefully uh, we didn't uh, filibuster and take too many random stories and uh, we can keep an audience of uh, at least a couple people. Appreciate the time, man. What's your prediction on the on the finals? Since this is going to come out probably in the middle of the series, who wins how Oof. many games? 
Because if I say Raptors in seven and they're down three nothing in a series, I'm gonna look real dumb. But like I, I, I think Raptors can take this in seven. Now we didn't talk about my Sixers. I'm a Sixers fan, and man, they should. I didn't, be in I didn't want to bring up bad memories. Yeah, that that thing bounced around the rim, still bouncing <laughs> around the rim, and I think the Sixers could be in this if uh, that bounce decided to hit the side of the rim and bounce out. But I think the Raptors match up well with the Warriors. I really do, and uh, I, I would. My pick is Raptors in seven. So I'll, I'll say that here and sound really dumb when this comes out and they're down 3 nothing. Thank you to Chris Lewis, and thanks for listening to the Say the Damn Score podcast. Remember to subscribe to the show on the platform of your choice by clicking the big red subscribe button at the top of saythedamnscore.com. Also, please follow the show on the social media outlet of your choice, including Twitter, where my handle is radio underscore Logan. I also now have Instagram, and it's just Say the Damn Score on Instagram, so easy to find. iTunes reviews are always appreciated. Emails or any other kind of honest feedback, uh, I also enjoy receiving those. So if you want to send them, they usually make me feel good unless they're a bad review, and then send them to someone else. Just kidding, I can handle... (laughs) uh, if, If it's real criticism and not meant to be spiteful, I'm all for it. Finally, please reach out to the guests of the show so they know you appreciate them sharing their stories on the podcast. As always, I'm your host, Logan Anderson, and the next time you're on the air, make sure to say the damn score just a little bit more.